Well, it's that time again, people. It's Sunday morning. It's 8 o'clock, and this is the Money Matters Show with Dean Greenberg. We do appreciate you guys just listening, chiming in, listening again, going to the, the podcast, listening to more, and understanding what we are talking about and how we're getting through this, this entire, entire markets, the economy, the political situation, you name it. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to try to go ahead and make some sense of it. But the good news is, guys, the markets have rallied to brand new highs. I mean, we, we eclipsed 5,000. Oh, man. I remember when the NASDAQ hit 5,000. We never thought we'd get back to that. And now it's at like 15,000. Okay. And the, and the, um, and the uh, S&P. It hit 2,000, came all the way back in 2000, uh, in 2001, in 2008, and now look where it is, 5,000, 5,000. Now, a lot of us scratch your heads about why and how the markets could be there. We've heard a lot of, well, this is consolidated, it's the Magnificent Seven, and that's why the S&P is moving so much, and you're right, that's exactly what's going on. But now it's starting to spread out a little bit more. Not not total more, but a little bit more. The S&P 500 equal weighted is obviously uh, uh, is, is, is 2% behind the S&P 500. Um, and it's 5%, almost 4.5% less for the year. So that just tells you it's very, very concentrated. But they keep going up and making highs. And that's why part of your portfolio has to be in the, in the indexes. And that's why we have that Greenberg Financial Group model, GFG model, we call it, because it's in the indexes. And that part of our portfolio is doing what the markets, the indexes are telling you. But as portfolio managers, you just can't put put it all in the S&P and leave it there because obviously it goes up and down, and that's what people fret. Obviously, there's allocations. And if you're growth-oriented, you're you're probably doing better than the S&P 500 because you're in some of these magnificent seven. Or six, because I don't like Netflix. They can't, they they always put Netflix. I know Netflix does well, but they, it, I just really have Netflix. There's other stocks out there, but I'm going to say something, and I want you to listen. It's like I'm trying to figure out if this is here to stay or not, and I'm going to tell you my feelings right after I give you the uh, with disclaimer. Uh, the show is brought to you, which is Money Matters, brought to you by Greenberg Financial Group. Uh, Greenberg Financial Group is both a registered investment advisory and a broker-dealer. They're registered with the SEC, members of FINRA, and members of SIPC. We talk about this every week. You have to know your risk tolerance. You have to know your how much risk you're willing to take. You have to know what all the risks are in anything you invest in. One way of getting around it is allocations. We always talk about it. Don't have to be over-allocated in one, one stock, one area, one anything, uh, one industry, one sector. Understand how much you can handle on volatility, which then determines what kind of stocks you're in. Not everybody can handle the, these tech stocks that are moving to the, to the moon because they also come down sometimes. And when they come down sometimes, that's what creates the stress and everything else for people. But there's a lot of stocks out there that have not moved yet, and I believe they will, and we talk about opportunities all the time. But before I get into that, I want to talk about where I think we're at and what's going on. I mean, you know, you try to say, okay, 
This market shouldn't be here. There's this problem. There's that problem. We know it. We got a border crisis. We have a credit crisis. We have too much debt. We have wars going on in both uh, Europe and, and the Middle East. And we have a lot of problems going on in Asia and Taiwan and all those with China ruffling up things. We get that. But do you ever stop and think maybe that's what the governments around the world want? Maybe that's the way they keep the economies going and everyone making money is that they just have this and they control it. And they don't give a damn about people dying, which is the worst part. Because we as people would never want a war. We don't want people dying. We don't want our loved ones dying. It's not like we're back, you know, in the, in the uh, Middle Ages when, you know, everyone's trying to get territory and, 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 and fighting. And, uh, you know, you, you got your horses, you got your muskets, your, whatever you're doing, uh, you know, and hand fighting, swords, who knows? You know, the Vikings invading other areas. This is not what we got now. So it always scratches my head of why we even have a war. Because if you ever put it on the ballot, do you want to have a war? 90% of the people say absolutely not, and not just in America. It would be common folk, people in the Middle East, in Asia, in China, in Russia, in Ukraine. You name it, they don't want to have a war. But for some reason, the people that govern us all think that we should have a war. We have two wars now, and all we're doing is funding it, and we don't fund the people that need to be funded in America because we have to fund these other countries. Our education system is horrible. In most places, horrible. Right here in Arizona, we'll rank what? 47th, 48th for how many years in a row? And yet we do nothing about it. Education is the key to success. That's how you move forward. That's how you keep number one in economy if, when you have technology better than everybody else. <clears throat> Not just because the technology and the weaponry makes it. Great, we have a great military power. Can you imagine if the leaders, when they get together and try to discuss the new Green Deal or how we're going to uh, bring down carbon, actually talked about how we're going to stop wars. Why don't we all just decide we don't want to have a war? How do we all decide we don't want nuclear anymore? How about if any country like Iran gets nuclear, we just crush them? Don't let them have it. How about that? Then you can tell me that the governments aren't involved in all this backdoor uh, uh, crookedness of trying to keep everything going. Their powers. Because I don't believe it. In the meantime, what it does is we keep giving this money away. We've got to keep our economy going. How else are we going to pay our debt with the interest rates higher? We need to go forward. Now, are the numbers true or not? I don't know. I'm going to go with them. They just revised the CPA, uh, CPA the uh, Consumer Price Index, lower on a re- revision. So which number do you believe? The first one that said we're going so much or the second one that's lower? Either way, doesn't matter. Either way, we look at the markets right now masking what's really going on. Most people can't afford to eat. Most people can't afford to pay the bills. Credit cards are going through the roof. Delinquencies are going through the roof. Because the average paycheck doesn't pay all the bills for the middle class and lower uh, Americans. And that's what we got to worry about. That's what we need to do. That's how we need to fix it. And all we have is politics. This border thing 
They say, oh, Trump's doing it for politics. Or the other side says, Biden's doing it for politics. Let me let you in on a little secret, people. It is politics. It's all politics. And it's not for you or me. It's all about power and who is going to control. Of course it makes sense, all the sense in the world for Trump to say, no, nobody vote for it because why are we going to give him a win basically six, seven months before uh, before, they, before the election? And the other side said, oh, they don't care about the border. They just want to go ahead and stop, the, stop it, which is all a bunch of bull because you know darn well if they cared about the border, they would have done something. A year ago, two years ago, if they cared about the border, if Biden cared about the border, he would have done something when he got into office and kept his pen in his pocket. You change the rules, you change the laws, and then you don't uphold the laws, you're going to have this border crisis. And for someone to say we have a border crisis now and, 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 and it's becoming a, uh, uh, out, of, out of control after we've been talking about this for two years and they do nothing about it until now because it's political to tie it in with giving aid to Ukraine and Israel, it's all political. Both sides, it's all political. And if you doubt it or you take one side and say, well, it's, it's not political on the Republican side, oh, it's not political on the Democrat side, then you are the problem too. Because until we, the people, call them out and say what it is really, is that it's all about them and nothing about us. Because even when they make a bill, it's not even a good enough bill to take care of what we need to take care of. And where does all the money go? That's the other thing. Why isn't the media asking what happened to all the billions of dollars that we have given to Ukraine? Does it go to where we need it to go, or is it lining the pockets of some of the richer people there? Where is the money going that goes to Israel? Where is it? Where's the accountability? Stop asking the American people to continue to pay if we don't have accountability where every dollar goes. They say, well, we give it to them, and then they're going to buy the defense and the missiles and everything from us. Okay, great. That's going to help our companies, our workers, our economy, and America. Okay, great. Is anybody accounting for that? Is anybody seeing or watching the dollar cash flow, where it's going, where it's coming back, how much it's going? I'm not talking about going to the pennies. I'm talking about how, how about just tracking to the 100 millions worth, okay? Let's be off by 100 million. That doesn't seem to be much. Or 500 million. I mean, look at the U of A that being down 200 and some odd million. All right? Track it. Account it for it. See where it is. But, you know, if Biden really cared about the border, why did he stop us putting those boxcars up to stop people coming in on the Arizona border? Why is he so against Texas doing their own thing with the barbed wire, trying to keep people out, and it is working? Isn't it amazing when you put up a blockade, you can't go under, you can't go over? It stops people from coming in. How about stopping the water coming through the dike now and then coming up with a comprehensive plan that will work for both parties? And it's got to be a compromise because people, if we do not compromise on a party, we'll never get anything done. Let immigrants, real immigrants, not troublemaking immigrants, come to our country. Ones that really need asylum. Bring them in, 
and then put up immigrant camps, funded private and public, and become an education institution where these people become assimilated into the American way. Teach them English. They have to learn English. They got to pass tests. And if they're in house, if they're in hospitality, bring in all the all the big hospitality places and let them teach them, and let this be a job market for them. If it's technology, teach them. Bring in the tech companies. Fund it. At least then you know what they're getting education, and they're getting uh, uh, meals, and they're getting board, and they and it's keeping warm, and they're learning. Those that want to do it. Great. If you don't, you go home. Okay? Stop just letting them flood into the country unaccounted for, not knowing where it is. And now they're so unabashed, they're beating up people, they're killing people. You know in our city here, right here in Tucson, the crime wave has risen. Oro Valley, Dove Mountain, Stone Canyon, Pima Pima, uh, 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 Canyon foothills there's robberies going on what are we waiting for the one that goes bad oh it's okay insurance will take care of it people aren't home no one's getting hurt it's frightening it's frightening and you know what what do you think happens to people that have no money no job no food no shelter they do not care about laws and regulations, especially because they know they're probably not even going to get put in jail or deported. You do things that go against your moralistic values when it's life or death. And then the bad ones don't even care about that. The gang members, you see them beating up policemen, beating up people, old ladies. And that's just what we see. That's just what we hear about. Imagine how much more is really going on. Shut the damn border down now, Biden. Shut it down. Okay? Then work on a plan and then ask some money. But let's go. Let's be accountable for all the money we have given everybody. I get it. We have to give money to Israel That's our hold. We have to be there. But do we have to give it to Hamas also? Do we have to give it to Iran also? What good is that? Oh, we'll give you money, Iran. You just stop doing this. Right, because they are so trustworthy. Same to Hamas. Don't worry, Hamas. They, you know, I know we you got billions of dollars and you killed thousands of Israelis, but it's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll help you out. Are you kidding? Israel is our friends. That's who we support. Get your butt out of Iran. I don't know why every Democrat needs to be friendly with Iran. Why? All they do is take us to the cleaners and create problems. Unless that's what we're looking for. Unless that's what we hope for. Obama did it, and now Biden's doing it. We had sanctions on him. Take off the sanctions and give him billions of dollars? Obama dropped billions of dollars in cash. Biden gave him billions of dollars. Next thing you know, we have an Israeli-Hamas war. And don't tell me the Israelis can't take him out. 
You guys all remember the Six-Day War? Boom. You come in, you're done, you're finished, it's over. Why is this taking months? Probably going to years. Has anybody asked that question? Because Israel can take them out very quickly. They stopped it quickly. Get done with it all. Why does it linger? Why does it linger? It doesn't need to. These all affect our economy and everything's going on. So bring it back to our economy. Our economy's doing great. Which is why I told you that the Federal Reserve was not going to lower interest rates, especially in the first or second quarter. And they're not going to do it right before the election. I'd be shocked unless something happens that they need to uh, 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 inject, stimulate uh, the economy. As long as we're doing what we're doing, don't expect the Fed to lower rates. It makes no sense. Lowering rates, especially when the markets are doing well and the economy is doing well, is an inflationary way of doing things. And then they'll have to turn around and raise rates again. Let the markets just be. Let capitalism just be. If we need to help, because all of a sudden we're in a liquidity crisis, that's when the Fed needs to inject stimulus. If we grow too fast like we did and we have too much inflation, they have to raise rates to lower it. But what has Congress done? Absolutely nothing. And that's what people can't even understand because they don't really understand economics. We knew going into that uh, pandemic that everything would shut down and that we had to give tons of money out so we can keep our economy going. So why aren't they smart enough to know that if we're going to, this is going to happen, how are we going to stop runaway inflation and prices getting away, wage inflation getting away? Because that's not going backwards. We hit a whole nother level right now. And this is where we are. Making all new highs in the market with people scared that the market can't go higher. Well, we all know that pullbacks can happen anytime. I don't see anything unless it's a black swan event for the rest of this year on pullbacks not being buying opportunities. I know stocks are running away. The technologies are running away 30, 40 points a, a week or something like that. That's not going to keep going. But, but, are we in a situation that we're 100 years from the roaring 20s? We had the pandemic over 100 years ago. We had history repeat itself. Is history repeating itself right now under our nose and we don't realize it? That's the question. We won't know it till it's over. But if you look at it, rather than just being scared that it's going up, you don't sell everything. This is not a situation... Do I buy or sell everything? It's a, it's a trim and hold. Hold what you have, trim back. If it goes higher, trim back. Until you have enough in your portfolio, you trim the positions and you look for other opportunities with the money you take off the table. Because someday, one day, these other stocks that are not moving will move. I've got two stocks in mind that I'm looking at for good reason that have not moved, good quality companies, well, one has moved a little bit, that I believe will one day catch fire, can move like these other stocks. We're in a new movement in America right now. The first one was 
the computer. When everybody started getting personal computers, that changed the world. The second one was when we got the uh, the smartphones. When the, everything we can do on a computer, we were able to do in our hand in the handheld devices. That's incredible. That changed the world. We're about to enter right now, and that's why these stocks, these companies are running so much. The AI world. Now, you're going to hear a lot of people pushing stocks that you've never heard of. Be careful. Be careful. Well, this is going to be the next Google. This is going to be the next NVIDIA. This is going to be the next AMD. You can go broke with those stocks. This is not the dot-com era that everything with a dot-com is going to go up until it doesn't. These AI companies, the Microsofts, the NVIDIAs, the Amazons, the Googles, the AMDs, there's a bunch of them out there. Those are the major ones. They are going to go up and down. They're going to get overvalued and come back, but they will still be the companies that will springboard the AI area. Now, we don't have, we have low unemployment. Do you ever scratch your head? Well, how does unemployment so low? How do we keep going? What are we going to do? AI is going to make a difference. AI is going to allow us to have a, a smaller workforce and have more production. That way it creates what? More earnings. We got more earnings. Guess what? The stocks go up. The valuations go up. Now, there'll be a time that these stocks are going to top out, go back and forth. People are going to want to panic out a little bit. And I can see them dropping 20% in a day at some time in the future. I'm not so sure which ones or when, especially the big ones, because then there'll be buying that comes straight back into it. It's the fringe ones I, I want to warn you about. The ones that every newsletter, everybody touts and says this is going to be the one or the phone call, whatever it is that you get, AI, 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 be careful. I don't care about that $2, $5, $7 stock that you think will be the next one that's there. Deal with the ones that are here. There'll be some of those. How are you going to know about those? You're not the private equity firms. You're not the ones that are that researching those. We know this. If they're any good in the private, you know what? Google, Apple, uh, Meta. One of them are going to buy them for a couple billion dollars. It's nothing. The other thing is, is the vision, the vision glasses. Apple coming out with this new Vision Pro. That's a whole new world that we're going into. We think it's just for gaming and watching movies. This is going to change everything. Our medical uh, industry is going to change. The, the avi- aviation is going to change. The way we train people is going to change. The way we entertain people is going to change. They see it. They know it. We don't know it yet, but the evolution for the next 10 years is there. And what is going to power it? The AI chips. Which company is going to keep advancing? Which companies aren't there yet that are going to be there? Just be careful of buying the next NVIDIA when you have NVIDIA or AMD. 
And if you're not in those, it's others. And if not, don't worry about it. Because a lot of people are already at the point, I don't need to do anything but just watch my account go up a little. I don't need to make 18, 20%. I want to be in good quality stocks that can pay some dividends and make my cut and make it move. If I can make a, a, a 7, 8% return, 10%, 11% in good year, I'm happy. You can get 4, 5% now in good bonds. That's an income. It's a, that's how you have to look at it. So the growth world, technology, AI, it's, it's, it's a game changer. And that's what can propel us higher. Is this the roaring 20s? We won't know about it. But if it keeps going and we got another two, three, four years, I want to be part of it. With the amount of money that I'm willing to risk and be volatile. I want a lot of my money safe and, and, and earning some nice interest. Balanced portfolio. But the rest will come to us. I appreciate you listening. We'll be right back. This is the Money Matters Show. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Money Matters Show. We have a full house today. We got Dave Sherwood back in the house. We got Dylan Greenberg. We got Todd. How are you, Todd? You took over last week. I appreciate that. You did a good job with Dylan and I and Dave out. Thank you. You forget my last name? What? You forget my last name? Oh, I know your last name. Okay. Glicky Glick. You did a nice job. You and Sebastian. Mm. Thank you. Glick Jr. Where is Sebastian? Huh? He's coming back. Is he? Don't worry. Okay. It's Friday. He has just wondering. Just wondering. I'm surprised you didn't say this is the Super Bowl Sunday oh, we'll Money Matters show. We'll, we'll get there. We'll give you our predictions. Replay, what's a replay of, of 2000 is going to be the same score. Wrong. Bang, Sim- bang. Simple. 31-20 Chiefs. That sounds about right. Can we bet on that? Sure. All right. 31-20 Chiefs? Yeah. yeah I don't you want to bet? Sounds about right. That's what it was in 2000. Four years ago, same exact matchup. Past performance is no, yeah. no, no. Seasonality. <laughs> Nothing according about future. According to seasonality, this is how the Super Bowl should end. I love that. Talk about that during that. the EV garage, Dave. Right. All right. Record highs. In your opinion, should people go be running for the hills or what? I, I think your monologue really said it well i, th- I think this is this is a a, a new era you know you, you always hear well it's different this time and of course you and i know from decades of doing this that it's generally not different this time but this one might actually be a little different with the ai uh in there well i'm not saying i'm not saying it's different because different would mean all the crap stocks are going to go up and it doesn't matter What's, it's the same, if you think about it, like when the computer started coming and Apple actually got going and Microsoft started going, they started taking off during that, series, that period of time. Dell, computer, mm-hmm. all those. Then the hardware went out, and what we got, because we got the, the smartphones. When we got the smartphones, all the, all the companies that fed into Apple uh, and Samsung and, and Google, they all started going up with those companies because now we have uh, the ability to have a computer in our hand basically that changed the world yeah and what i'm saying is the stocks that are going to change the world right now are the ai stocks but we got to be careful on the fringe stocks all right because you, you know what happens dave sure. everyone's going to say it's ai it's ai it's ai well most people don't even know what ai is right you don't even know how much of the company's ai there are companies that are going to be small that are going to be bought up and you're going to make money off of it there's going to be t- companies if it turns down that are going to go out of business because all the funding goes away stay away from the speculative ones when you can stay in the good ones I, I think one other thing you have to be careful of i had a call last week of a, of a conservative client who calls up but this guy is risk adverse to the point where 
uh, about five years ago, he decided that he just couldn't handle the the level of uh, volatility and took half of his account and bought a CD. I mean, that's how risk adverse this guy is. And he called me up and said, I think we need to get more technology stocks. Yeah. That's the kind of thing you have to be careful of. And what he wanted to do to get the technology stocks is sell Disney, which went up 13% the next day. Right. Uh, we didn't do that, obviously, but, but there's a... Obviously, you've got that feeling. It's that FOMO, that fear of missing out. Man, I have got to get in this. I've got to get some NVIDIA. I've got to get some uh, uh, some hot high flyer here because everybody's making a bunch of money except me. It does make you a little cautious when the most conservative people are starting to say that. Right. Because I remember in 2020 when all those stocks just couldn't go down. You start. We started getting calls about wanting to just throw everything in these penny stocks that haven't even made a dime yet. And then once you started getting those calls – Obviously, we saw 2022 happen. It all went down because it was 20 and 20 and then 2021. All those stocks were just going up and going up and all that craze with GameStop and everything. Everybody started to fear the FOMO. And then obviously they came back down to earth. Yeah. The other thing to keep in mind is no one has actually made a business model using AI that has been very profitable yet. Now, there's a lot of cool ideas out there and I'm very excited to see all of them come to fruition, but no one's actually making money with AI. Like ChatGBT doesn't make Microsoft a lot of money. It's just a really cool thing. Now, and these investors are projecting what type of income that could possibly bring the business in future years. But as of now, we've talked about this on the show multiple times. It's really they're building out the platform of AI for a lot of these companies and it hasn't really turned into any revenue source for these companies. So you're seeing a lot of projections into these stocks. Could it come to fruition? Sure. Absolutely. I mean, the, the type of things that could happen with AI are certain, but there's also this worry of what happens if it's 50% of that projection or 75%. We have to see some type of correction there. I agree. It was a historic week. We saw the S&P 500 hit 5,000 for the first time in history. You remember when it hit 500 for the first time, don't you? I, <laughs> I remember, you know, it's funny. Your dad and I were talking about this this morning. I remember back in 2002 when the NASDAQ got to 5,000 and then collapsed. Yeah. Right. And then just collapsed. And I thought, I wonder if we'll ever see 5,000 again in our life. It hit 16,000 this week. Yeah. Which is one of those things where we constantly tell people every single market decline in history has one thing in common. They have all been followed by a new all time high. Market index declines for when sure. The market, when the market uh, declines, just keep in mind that is an opportunity to buy. When yeah, real- well, that's a good point. It's market indexes. The market as a whole has hit all-time new highs. It's not yeah. companies necessarily. Certain companies don't just Or certain markets. There's can- a lot of markets out there. That's all the reason I was that's, no, that's a good. That's a good clarification, yeah. Todd. I appreciate that. That You're absolutely right. You have to stick with quality. We're talking about the major indices. Right. right? Um, they, they always hit an all-time high. But, you know, I got this This FOMO thing is, is real, this fear of missing out. I'm, I get calls on it. To, round numbers do tend to be a magnet, too. And that's when the S&P 500 was kind of working its way towards 5,000, uh, Dean and I spoke, and, and I said, it's absolutely going to hit 5,000. Because that it's like a magnet to the, mm-hmm. that that draws it for a couple of days though. It was yeah. just around the four nine 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 zero, kind of struggled. Then once it hit five thousand, it just exploded through to end it. Like five, a lot of that has to do with options. I mean, once options were introduced into financial markets, those whole figures made even bigger of a psychological because most options are in fives, so they're on the even numbers. Yes, when well, you buy like the. 5,000 to 5,100, not buying 5,005. Yeah, or 5,002. There's no options, yeah. you know. So like, 
And because it closed, uh, moved above five thousand, went to the closing price of what fifty twenty nine, something like that. Yeah. Uh, don't think that's up, up and away. Uh, the, the, the five thousand is not out of the out of the mirror yet. Well, uh, the S and P five hundred has traded higher on the calendar week for fourteen of the last fifteen weeks. Isn't now, that something? Which I believe is maybe the first time in history. I I don't know another time. I mean, there's been other times where thirteen out of the last fourteen weeks has happened. But I don't think it's ever happened in 14 out of the last 15. I, mean, I Googled that. Did actually. you? Okay. You know. 1972. Okay. See? Okay. 1972 was the last time that uh, that, that the uh, S&P 500 was up 14 of 15 weeks. 1972. Uh, yeah. yeah. And, and interestingly, in 1972, I was in the financial services business. Was that your first? <laughs> that was your first year. Yeah, that's probably right when you got into it, right? Right when I got into it. First year. Yeah, because you were doing mortgages before. Yeah, first year. Actually, I was, doing, I was doing mortgages in 72, but I was also giving financial advice to, to uh, uh, the bank clients. Gotcha. But I wasn't licensed to, in the brokerage industry till 81. Now, a couple of things to look on the S&P 500 is the historical returns <laughs> that we normally see um, for an election year. Uh, normally, we were saying like 4% is normally what we see in an election year. Um, but this year, we have 100% outpaced that so far. And that's what's kind of the concern is. Do we have a kind of a pullback back to what we've seen on historic years? Where we're, this is an outlier of a year so far uh, on the type of performance. Could this market pull back five or ten percent without any reason whatsoever? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and it, February is season seasonality talking again. Uh, it, it isn't a great month, um, so it, it could p- potentially have some troubles in February as well. It's actually the second worst month of the year for the market over the last fifty years. That's got to be because. December tends to be good, and then January tends to be good because of all right. the new money coming in, and then people want to take some profit. I agree 100%. Reason. That has to be why. And they September it, makes no sense, but well, you actually have some reasoning behind February. Yeah, and February is normally extra historically weak in election years as well. Yeah. So. Yeah, so I'm, I wouldn't, again, a pullback wouldn't surprise me. Right now, it's just too easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And when it gets this easy, uh, right now, you know, in a in a good market, we look like we're really smart. In a market like this, we look like geniuses. Oh, yeah. And, and it, it's not that's not the case well like one of the stocks that we made a position in yesterday fslr today was up seven percent yeah good you know, call you look like geniuses but <laughs> timing wise yeah it, you know, no, it was great timing it's just luck sometimes now take some off the table quick <laughs> yeah, the, i mean when in reality we're thinking about buying a position in fslr for a couple of weeks now because we're just thinking in, like on an interest rate basis of lower interest rates meaning that that could help solar that's what we were thinking, but it just happened to be the day we bought it, it was down because we were like, oh, it's a good buying opportunity, and then it just jumps 7% the next day. That's the thing that is interesting about solar spaces. We know they're very interest rate sensitive, so it is a kind of an interest rate play. We know PFF we've talked about as interest rate plays. That's where we do like allocating money in this year because, again, we are talking about growth at historic valuations, not a place where you love to start new positions. Um, on a pullback, like Dean says, is where you would want to. But right now, if you're looking for good places, we like the interest rate sensitive ones because we still, rates did have come back up a little bit. They're back into the fours. So you have room for them to come back down. That's one of the troubling things that I saw this week is that interest rates kind of edged higher almost every day. And uh, yeah, did, They were did, up like 2% for the week. 
Yeah, they got back to a, a seven-week high. Mm-hmm. The interest rate's currently at a seven-week high. The uh, the spread between the two-year and the 10-year, the inverse spread that we talk about, actually expanded to 30 basis points, which is uh, much wider. Not much. It's wider than it's been. Yeah, it was about 23 last week. And so was it? it was, yeah. It been running in 10, 15 area. The, we thought maybe that would actually uh, reverse and, and become a, a, a normal yield curve, but uh, not at this point. Uh, the Bitcoin two year high, Todd. Uh, yeah, well, smoking. again, I, I don't know why. I saw Kramer say that it was the first time Bitcoin went over forty five, forty seven thousand. I was like, no, it did it two weeks ago. What is he talking about? Uh, the, according to CNBC, it was a two year high. Okay, I guess they're talking about closing prices. Then I guess maybe, maybe that's I guess what they're so, talking yeah. about. But uh, yeah, it's been a great week for for eleven percent up for the week, and we're going again from Friday to Friday using the ETFs now because mm-hmm. as you've pointed yeah. out before, Bitcoin trades twenty four seven. Yeah, and I've looked at FBTC, which is Fidelity's spot Bitcoin ETF, and plotted it right on Bitcoins. And since the start of of FBTC, it's been perfect. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to the Money Matters Show. My name is Todd Glick. I'm here with David Sherwood and Dylan Greenberg. Again, we have had a great week for the S&P 500, all indices, all in all. I mean, the Dow didn't really do much, but the S&P was up 1.4 and the NASDAQ was up 2.3. The equal weighted only up 0.5. So again, a continuation of the trend of 23 of the Magnificent 7, outpacing the overall market and really bringing these indexes higher. Has some interesting things to talk about with the Mag 7. Um, bottom up consensus X. Um, expects that the Magnificent 7 will collectively grow at a 12% um, compounding growth rate through 2026. That's compared to S&P 500, the other 493 companies, at a 3% compounding annual growth rate through 2026. So obviously, Mag 7 is a lot higher than the average S&P, but they should be higher. I mean, these are better companies all in all compared to the other four. Two weeks ago, we had gone from Magnificent 7 to Super 6. But well, Tesla, Kramer did. Tesla woke Kramer back up did. again, huh? Yeah. Well, Tesla can wake up so quickly. Yeah. Tesla had dropped twenty five percent year to date. So and the funny thing is, is investors still consensusly believe that Tesla is the second out of the top seven out of the Mag Seven that will grow over the next two years. Nvidia is the one first place at thirty one percent compounding annual growth rate, but Tesla right next to it at nineteen. So Tesla, they're they're suggesting Tesla. based on the current stock price that investors are still expecting this type of compounding annual growth rate. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. You hear a lot of, of positives and negatives about uh, uh, different electric vehicles and things that are going on. Do you see where GM signed the biggest electric vehicle supply deal in their company history? Nineteen billion dollars last week with LG Chemical, and GM said they're committed to electric vehicles. With that said, last week, Porsche said that their popular Macan SUVs, their number one selling vehicle, is going to be all electric starting in 2025. That's it. You can't buy a gas one. Jaguar's entire fleet is going to be 100% electric by 2025. And, you know, Europe is committed to the EV way more than the U.S. It's going to be interesting to watch. If you have Porsche and, and Jaguar, sales falling apart in the United States because all they have is electric and we're not wanting electric for whatever reason. We don't have the infrastructure to be able to charge and go. I saw the story about this guy who rented a Tesla because it was cheaper than flying over to Ohio for the holidays. Okay. 1600 mile trip took him 10 days because he had to find different electric charging stations. He'd go up and down through Pennsylvania and everything. And three of them were broken. Some of them didn't have the, uh, the adapter for the Tesla. That's the issue that people run into. Like you, that's why you don't drive your car to California. I don't drive my issue. car to California because my wife lives in a world where 
she likes things to be predictable. And one thing about an electric vehicle is it's not predictable. That's part of although the problem. Once, although I will say, having had taken the car out on the road, it will tell you where the charging station is. It will say, hey, idiot, you got to pull over here. doesn't tell you if they're broken, according to that guy. And it also took him on average 45 minutes to do a full charge, which is just so long on a trip. Right. You never you never do a full charge. The one thing you learn is there's a learning curve. And you, you charge for 30 minutes. Or what you do is you charge to get to your next destination is what you do. Have you what seen- I'm saying is that's the issue that people don't want. That's why people in the U.S. don't want to do it. Maybe you're up there more on the board because it's a lot closer together. It's, it's a hassle. Yeah. It's a, it's a hassle. That's, that's, that's why I it's don't It's a fair do hassle that you don't want to do It's just a hassle. With. And the cars aren't that cheap. Yeah, and I mean, you know, some people say look at it as a challenge, uh, but it's just a hassle. That's, that's all. Now, Ferrari is the one I really want to talk about in the car space because that stock has been absolutely killing is it. Is that amazing? Very few is people have been talking about it. Uh they're very expensive, which is why probably no one talks about it. I mean, I think it's in like the 300, 400 or something like that. Yeah. They should do a stock split. I don't know what they're doing. I don't know they what don't their CF, I don't like know what their sure CFO is not thinking over there, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you look at Tesla Ford, I mean, all the automakers do stock splits. So it, it's kind of weird that they haven't done it yet, but Ferrari has been killing. I don't know if you heard anything about Ferrari's EV, but it doesn't seem like they have a huge fleet on board, or, but they are another European company. So they just, Sold that uh, four door that they just came out, like their version, their SUV, their first SUV ever. They sold that for like three years, and they keep it that way because they want the exclusivity of it. And that's maybe why they don't split their stock because they're like, if you can afford our car, you can afford our stock, kind of thing. Yeah, when I was in school, we actually did a case study on Ferrari potentially doing this four door because it was in a, a problem with the exclusivity of the brand. Ferrari supposed to be that sports car, and they were wondering if they introduce this four door, more family oriented car, does it lose that exclusivity of the brand Ferrari itself? Uh, obviously not, because it looks they like a three hundred thousand dollar version of the Mazda four door. Yeah, it's it, worked out it, good it's for an them. SUV. Yeah, a Ferrari yeah. SUV. They just came out with it. Um, yeah, and but they're already cool. sold out for like two or three years. <laughs> but that's what they want. They don't want to up production. Yeah, yeah. to meet demand because yeah. they want they want to keep that exclusivity of, of the Ferrari brand. I mean, they're making so much money with everything. That's what they keep. That's what they want their brand to continue to be. They don't want to just start making it everywhere so everybody has them. Right. We have a guest coming on in the next segment, so let's take a quick trip to the EV garage while we're at it, while we're talking about electric vehicles. I thought we just did. The last time I gave a list of things that were wrong with electric vehicles, and my friend Carl pointed out I'd missed one, tires. When Tesla was testing the early models, they discovered that, the en- that with no engine noise, the noise from the tires was noticeable and annoying. In addition, the vehicle can weigh as much as 30% more than a gas-powered vehicle, and as a result... They came up with special EV tires that reduce road noise, handle the weight, and reduce rolling resistance to enhance range. Hmm. Very special tires. However, these tires can cost as much as $100 a piece more than normal tires. Oh, more than, I was going to say. Yeah, yeah I was going to say 100 cheap. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, <do> <laughs> $100 a piece more than normal tires. And one, other yeah. thing, one other thing that I hadn't really thought about, uh, about uh, two weeks ago, I was uh, driving out of my neighborhood in the dark, 6 a.m., and uh, I'm the president of the HOA, and we'd put in new lights, and I hadn't really had a chance to look at the new lights. And so I stopped, and I backed up to look at them better and bumped a neighbor's wall, literally bumped a neighbor's wall. It would be on a normal car, you could buff it out. Well, I took the car down because the car is made of plastic and aluminum, the Tesla, uh, to, to reduce the weight. It's very fragile. And it turns out that uh, I did about $10,000 worth of damage literally bumping into a wall at less than five miles an hour. And it's not really noticeable. 
it's not really noticeable, uh, but it it's not like a the, huge thing. It took the front bumper, it, it took the rear thousand. bumper and pushed it up into the rear quarter panel, which because it's aluminum buckled a little bit. $10,000 later, here you go. 20% of the original price. Another, yeah, another, another issue with uh, EVs. It's, it's not all, it's not all perfect. Believe me. Yeah, um, well, talking about Max 7 one more time, and if you look at Max 7 versus the other S&P 500 in the current valuation, um, this guy at Goldman Sachs, David Costin, said his valuation model indicates that the group's fast expected growth and high-quality attributes largely explains their premium valuation and says, based on his model, that they are fairly valued. Um, so it kind of, I guess, depends on what your model is. You're not going to get the kind of growth out of anything that you're going to get out of the Magnificent 7. It's that simple. So So comparing Magnificent 7, I mean, for people that are listening, what Dave's saying is comparing Magnificent 7 earnings reports to the rest of the S&P 500 will always be skewed. Yes. Because they're designed, their business model is designed to just grow at such a higher rate. Sure. Speaking of skewed, we thought coming into this year that value would uh, become more popular than growth. So far, that has not happened. Uh, that has not happened. Uh, the uh, uh, equal-weighted S&P 500 year-to-date up 0.7, while the NASDAQ is up 6.5. Mm-hmm. So it is literally a, uh, a continuation of what went on in 2023. Uh, we did not expect that. Yeah, over the last five years, the information technology sector of the S&P has risen more than 200%. That's two times the return of the S&P 500 index, and it goes even further than that because the tech's dominance, that sector alone, is the only sector that has beaten the S&P 500 average over the last five years. Only one out of 11 has actually beat the S&P 500 index because every other sector is below the average. That's how much information technology is just pulling the index higher. Dean said you didn't see anything other than a black swan event, you know, a one-off event, some kind of a headline-making event that mm. could uh, would would make any any pullback not a buying opportunity. And I would say that the one variable here is interest rates. Interest rates have to stay down. Interest rates cannot start spiking up again. Uh, that will put a, a damper on this. I think interest rates really fast. And to your point as well, CPI. Yeah. Right. If CPI ticks up, interest rates will have to tick up in response to that. So and we get a CPI report next Tuesday with PPI next Friday. So yeah. next week could be interesting because interest rates have been have been edging higher. Well, we didn't talk about oil. What a three weeks it's had. Wow. Up, down, up. I mean, it's all over the place. It can't make up its mind. Yeah. Up 5% for the week. Yeah. $76 a barrel. Yeah, I mean, if you see gas has back, been back over $3 for a little bit now. Yeah. I've been watching the, the gasoline prices. Uh, I don't go to the gasoline stations of course <laughs> i don't have to because i have a tesla there you um, go. but i've been watching the prices and they've gotten down below three bucks haven't they on it had been yeah. regular wasn't yeah, it, three it was, bucks yeah. for a period and now it ticked back up over three dollars a couple of weeks ago yeah and then like it's like dylan just said oil is up four dollars thirty cents on the week gold finished the week unchanged uh gold tends to do poorly with rising interest rates and rising interest rates tend to push the dollar higher and because gold is priced in dollars gold goes lower so it was unchanged on the week yeah tried a couple of times to rally well listen to this dave if you started investing in january 2022 it was a terrible time to start investing oh yeah um, if you invested all 100 percent of your money into the s&p 500 just now over a two-year period well two years in a month right you would have been up roughly about nine percent Okay, for that two-year During period. During that two-year period. And that's 100% S&P 500. 100% total total return S&P. index, right? Wow. Now, if you would have just done cash, you're just rolling one to three-month treasuries okay. during that time, you would have made 
8.5%. Just now did the S&P 500 get a return higher over a two-year rolling period than just having money in straight cash. The reason I bring that up is obviously it's been a, a very weird period for stocks in the last two years. And we do have accounts that come in at different times and have different. Well, what's your performance? Well, when did you start? Right. You know, because it's 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 hard to say because every account is unique to that particular client. Every account was started at a specific point in time. Now, if you came in like you said in January of 2022, and you had all cash, and you said, "Okay, I want to I want to get invested," we would do it a dollar cost averaging over a period of months. Wouldn't have helped much because the market just kept going lower, lower, lower. And then got trashed at the end of 2022. Now 23 comes, things turn around, it starts to go back up. And at the end of 23, two years later, you're where you started. And boy, these guys are really not very good money managers. We'll be back right after this break. Welcome back, everybody, for the second hour of the Money Matters Show. Do appreciate you listening and being part of what we do. We have everybody here today, but we have a special guest. You know, we always talk about, like, we're a team. You know, I've told you about how the team concept works, and everybody works together. Well, uh, we've added to our team. Um, you know, we've always had a, uh, uh, you know, the planning, and we've had the advising, and then we had the uh, money management. That's what we do. And then we brought on uh, uh, Jonathan, who also was uh, our in-house attorney with uh, and does all our uh, – uh, uh, estate planning and, and all. But what we were looking for was an accounting firm, okay? One that we can work with, that partner with, that we can, like, you know, basically trust. And so uh, it just so happens at the end of the year, one of the firms that we were referring business to, uh, these brothers, Johnson & Johnson, Cy and uh, uh, Joel, uh, bought them out. And I sat down with them and talked to them and we really hit it off and said, okay, let's partner up here and work with each other. So today I have uh, Joel Johnson on, talk about his history and what we do and how we do this together. Great addition, Joel, to be part of uh, our partnership here and what we do. And remember, we all own our own businesses, guys, but you can, everyone's here. You know, you need something, you can meet with them here. They'll talk to you here. Yes, they have another office here too, but our office is where you, is probably the only place you have to come. But if it's closer to the one of the others, that's not a problem. So welcome, Joel. Thank you, Dean. Excited to be here and part of uh, the team and the organization. So tell us a little bit of, I mean, obviously I know it's not Johnson & Johnson. It's uh, Johnson Group or Johnson Tax Accountants. Why do you have so many names? <laughs> I know you can't have Johnson & Johnson, but... <laughs> Making sure people have uh, see the things that we do and can connect with us and so the different names to align with the different things that we do. Great. We're going to get into that. Let's talk about you and Cy and why do you do this and what your, what your past uh, history is. You bet. So been in Tucson since I was a baby. We grew up here. Um, had a number of different uh, experiences in public accounting and in an industry and so forth. And about 20 years ago, decided that this was where we wanted to be and what we wanted to do, form the LLC. I've uh, been doing CPA and tax practice for about 15 years. And Tucson is just an amazing place. And we wanted to be here and be a part of the community and see what difference we could make and bring our experience to town. Now, you here, uh, Cy grew up here. Yep. But Cy, Cy moved away for a while, and now he's coming back. Yep. And how cool is it that you guys as brothers are going to build and grow this firm? I'm super excited. Yeah, the uh, uh, I was deciding between accounting and engineering when I was going through the U of A, and my older brother, Cy, went accounting 
and uh, I took astronomy, which didn't count for the engineering side of uh, sciences. <laughs> so here I am, accountant CPA. What's really cool is like, like I like people. I think you don't. I like energized people, and you guys are cool accountants. You're fun. Thank you. Okay, you got personality. It's it's you know like in your business, our business, the whole business is Jonathan's. But it's 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 relationship building, yep. and the fact that you guys actually have that type of uh, demeanor about you is fantastic. And you're smart, and you know all this stuff. You so you fit in perfectly with us. <laughs> Outstanding. Well, we're going to rely on you all for the smart part, but works. Listen, if you just take the CPA test, you're smart, in my eyes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, because you, you spend the time learning it, because it was Dylan's favorite subject in school. There we go. Oh, There's my man. That's my least favorite. <laughs> I was not an accountant. I figured that out really quickly. That's not the major I wanted to take. Was it one of those, like, maybe it's going to be my favorite. I should take that class again. Kind of no, I was super. forced to take it because I was a finance major, and it was my first accounting class, and everything to me was backwards, and it just didn't work out. And I had to take about six of those classes because I was a finance major. Didn't have fun in one of them. I had a friend of mine. <laughs> it, either click, it either clicks really quickly with you and you love it and you'll be an accountant, like my friends that were trying to teach me, or you just never go down that route. I had a friend of mine that sat for the CPA exam, and back then it was, I don't know what it is now, Joel, but it was a two-day exam, yep. and you had to score 300 to pass. And uh, he got done with the second day, and, and he came back, and I said, so how did it go? And he goes, Turns out I studied a little too hard. And I said, really? Why is that? He goes, I got a 301. So close. He's almost right on it. 301. And he needed 300 to pass. So he did, his conclusion was he had studied too hard. There you go. That sounds like an accountant. See, this is why it works good, too, because people that, like, uh, we're all good with numbers in different ways. You guys look at the stuff. They all have to make sense. Boom, down to the bottom. But taking risk as an accountant, spending money as an accountant, very difficult. Us as advisors, we have to take the risk, calculated risk. How are we going to go ahead? What stocks are we going to make? How are we going to allocate it? How are we going to put it together? Where do we see we can make money? So the two go together, yep. but definitely different personalities, which makes it both better. And that's why I've always said one person can't do both. Yeah. No, it's a great partnership relationship. Yeah. How about you and Cy, uh, as far as personalities go? Are you similar, or do you have areas where you prefer to go and, and – uh, are you are you dividing the business up a little bit uh, based so, upon personality? So as far as similar, he's smarter, more handsome, all those kinds of things. What are you going to do? You, you know? guys look exactly the same. <laughs> so what are you trying to say about yourself? <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> Smart and handsome, right? But, yeah, you said it. I don't know. But uh, um, we have a very similar background and experience, some, some different industry expertise that we bring to the table. But otherwise, the profile is very similar. And so the... The vision is eeny, meeny, miny, mo. And you'll be looking, if I understand correctly, you're looking for accounting work. Uh, uh, some, you want somebody to do your taxes, or do you want somebody? Uh, or if you're a business, want someone to do your books? That's uh, you. You all that, right? Yes, sir. Yep. Yeah. Well, what's really cool is because the uh, businesses need good accountants, yeah. but it's more for planning, consulting, and stuff like that. Where it's going and how it's going. And I know you guys are really good at it because you've been what with the big four, haven't you? Yep. Yep. Is, they do a lot of that. So give a little bit of background to that to our business owners that are listening. Yeah, you bet. So one of the things we're trying to do with our practice is to bring in some uh, broader uh, value-add ex- uh, expertise beyond the core compliance that you turn to the CPA for classically. And the application of that, when we go back to the experience, you know, how many 20-year-olds get a 
pop into the CFO's office of a successful publicly traded firm and say, oh, how are you doing it this way? Why does your cash look like that? And so forth. So you get all this incredible experience and exposure in the public accounting uh, experience. And then we each had different experience in the uh, private sector and industry and so forth, being CFOs, operation officers, uh, interim CEOs, things like that. Um, and then the idea was to bring that experience so that we have that broader context of it's not just the compliance component, but it's also in out there practicing in a business uh, setting and so forth, what they're dealing with and what they need to address and how to be able to bring that perspective forward. So that when we're supporting their tax and accounting and related needs, that it's not uh, only practice oriented. It's also from an experience sitting in the seat that they sat. Which well, great. Like us, like Jonathan's law firm and like yourselves, we're all Tucson yep. owned and family businesses. Yep. And we all give that same feeling out. So people that kind of work with us, they get that, that personal lives touched, yep. you know, being flexible, being able to ha- handle this stuff. And the great part is it's our own businesses and, we don't have to charge what the big firms charge. Yep. We could charge less. Yep. And give them more. Yep. And um and you know, and we're all good at it, which is good. So what's great now is people can call. We have accountants, we got estate planners, and obviously ourselves that will do the financial plan that ties this whole thing together. I'm so happy because I finally got, after all these years, everything I wanted under one roof. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, and it's something that's going on in, in, in Tucson, at least at least in my age group, Dean and you probably as well, we, you develop relationships with accountants, with doctors, with dentists, with lawyers. And when you get old, as you get old, they get old. So yeah. what, what we're trying to do, I think, Dean, you, uh, you've made a conscious effort here uh, to bring in young people. And the Johnson Group are young people, uh, our financial advisors. We have young people. I don't know. Um, when we were in our 40s, which they are, we didn't think we were that young. Now that we are, we think, oh, man, that's young. Just a kid, right? <laughs> but I think the, the one thing you, that gets so, is so frustrating as you get older is that all of the people you've relied on over the years retire or die. And uh, and so this we have a team of people that are going to outlive you. All right, <laughs> yeah. I think that's important. That's for sure. You develop relationships uh, with people that, and everybody wants a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant that's younger than them. Well, people so. are just moving here from out of you know absolutely of, right, and they want an accountant in town. They want an advisor in town. They 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 want to make sure their estate plan is up to date and changing. It's all here. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. And, you know, um, yes, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not ancient, but, you know, I got 10 years, maybe 15 years left. But after that, there's a whole bunch of people, not, not in my life, I hope, but just, you know, uh, working-wise. And, um, and then you go from there. So it's, it's, it's kind of good. So let's get more into the nuts and bolts of right. uh, the types of clients you're looking for, what you can do for them. And then I want to get into how people – the tax changes that are coming up that they have to be aware of. You bet. Uh, so on the client side, I'll give you a two-part perspective. One, there's the individuals. Uh, it's really enjoyable to connect with people in the community. Of the things that are exciting to me about tax practice isn't exactly the tax code, which is under perpetual change now, by the way, which will lead to that second part. Um, but it's getting to meet people and understand people, know people in a way that actually you can do and imply tax strategy and planning in a way that is directly applicable to them. And if you take the time to get to know them and and interface with them, uh, it becomes something quite significant that you can do. 
the other part would be that business experience. So on the value side of what I believe we're bringing to the table is that experience in the background with the business uh, industry work that we've done in the past and being able to understand that from the business side and then pull in the tax strategies and so forth that can directly help. A question? No, you go for it. At this point, you've got three different places where people can meet you, meet yep. with you, which would be the your office at Fort Lowell and? Campbell. Campbell, thank you. Yep. And Oracle? Yes, sir. Oracle near Ina. Oracle and Ina, yep. Oracle Ina area, and, or here at uh, yep. Campbell and River. Yep. Uh, so there's any one of those three places that you can meet with them. And if you're looking for someone to do your taxes, and uh, I've talked talked to a few people in the last few days that are, because uh, we're starting to think about that now. 1099s uh, coming out from brokerage firms next week. Yep. And that should be the last thing you really need for most people uh, to to start getting that stuff rounded up. And so, too, I think a lot of yeah. people are struggling to find CPAs to do their taxes lately so it's good we've had a lot of of uh, a lot of cpas here in tucson were older folks and they have retired and we've been dealing with dozens of cpa firms Mm -hmm. and uh, we had a uh, a CPA firm that actually was accepting new clients that that we were fond of and they're they're Mm -hmm. full Uh, they're not accepting new clients so trying to find a competent uh young group of CPAs here in Tucson uh, is really challenging. And that's why the Johnson group is, uh, we're so excited to be associated with you guys, Joe. Thanks, Dave. Likewise. Uh, yeah, there's some really uh, knowledgeable practitioners. I'm told that a, more than half of CPAs are 65 or older now. And so we're starting to see that retiring profile and so forth. And so we're excited to come in and pick up the torch where some of these great practitioners in the past are, are looking to move to the next phase. I can't tell you, Dean, you and I both know, Dean, how hard we've looked for something yeah. like the Johnson Group. No, this is for, I mean, you know me, Dave, I keep looking and looking and looking until yeah. I think it's right. You know, it's like anything. It's like it's like being on MASH. You keep dating until you find someone. <laughs> and, uh, Does your wife know about this? <laughs> and, and, but, but also, you also know me that... I, I can quickly know will this go anywhere or not by the type of questions you answer. You know, I, I'm not one of these guys that like to date a long time and, and go there. I want to find out we're we going to build a relationship or not. And it's, yep. uh, by the way, I'm talking about business relationships. <laughs> of course. <laughs> the, uh, uh, and it did. And him and his brother and I hit it off well. And we had a vision. And I told them what I, I see. They said the same thing. And we were able to get there. The the thing is, they are one of those people that just bought out one of the people we gave business to that retired. Yes, absolutely. You know, yep. and that's what's going to keep going on. So people are going to keep doing it. Same thing in our business. A lot of advisors are getting to that retirement age, and they don't want to do the work anymore, and they just want to get lazy. I'm not going to be lazy. I, I'll retire before I get lazy. <laughs> I will retire. <laughs> I can't see you retired. I don't know. Something about it. I just can't see you laying back, laying back on the beach and saying, well. Yeah, I think you're as retired as you're going to get. I'm thinking so too, Dylan. I'm thinking so too. Yeah, no problem. (laughs) Take the summers off for the most part when you're here, you're here. Yeah, I don't have that gene either. Uh, You know, we're living in interesting, we work in an interesting business where people typically don't retire because it isn't really physical labor. It's not something you need to retire from. I have a friend who's a veterinarian. He retired. That's work. Being a veterinarian is physical work. You know, you're dealing with with the animals, and, and it, it actually is work. Yep. Here we sit, and we talk to our friends, and we trade our own accounts, and uh, that's pretty. We mentor kids. And I, think it, and part, it, I think part of it, don't uh, the young people? Is, yeah. Is, yeah, bring it on the young people, mentor them, and teach them, and they teach us stuff. 
Absolutely. You know, the nice thing about our young guys is they're not just going to take everything we say and just say, okay, they fight back on us still. They push back. And that's why we get to the what's really good. You yep. know, except sometimes they yeah, you love that. push back too much. <laughs> <laughs> That's your favorite thing that we do. You say, you just accept that so well. Yeah, Dean loves that pushback, doesn't he? Oh, every time. Yeah. Not a nice about I like yeah. the fight. I like the, I like the pushing back and forth, and then we get to an answer. You know? You do like your fight. Well, you're from New York, like Trump, right? It's, oh, every yeah. morning don't, you wake don't up. Don't put me in the same. <laughs> every morning you wake up and look for a fight. <laughs> if I was Trump, I wouldn't have so many people hating me. Oh, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't no, say wouldn't. bad things to people. No, you wouldn't. But he's going to probably be uh, next. Uh, well, obviously, he's going to be our next uh, Republican candidate. So hopefully we'll see what happens. Nope. Is that going to affect taxes at all? I expect it'll be one of the most significant things to affect taxes on the horizon. Let's the upcoming election. That. Good. It'll be good, right? Well, it depends with. Depends what uh, happens from the different platforms and what they actually implement or not. So there's uh, everything from the ideas where reducing taxes helps bolster economy. Um, and typically when folks come to us, they're looking to uh, maximize, uh, excuse me, I mean minimize their tax liability. Uh, right. And um, and so depending on which way this goes, there's uh, certain platforms that say they want to take half of your money. Like when someone passes, let's give up half of your money and... Uh, and others that don't. And so, what platform is that? Uh, so we'll have to see what the current platforms are. But in the last campaign, uh, there was the advocacy to take the estate taxation and reduce it down to million dollar level. Which, with just look at homeowning a home and, and real estate, is that the right side or the left side that wants to do? Left it? side. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want that side. <laughs> okay. Nobody wants to pay more taxes. I don't. I don't mind paying some. I don't mind paying my fair share. You know what my yep, fair share absolutely. is? The same thing that everybody else is paying percentage-wise. That's my fair share. But it all seems that some of us that become successful always pay more dollar-wise. Yeah, well, yeah, and y'all, higher percentage Right, and all you hear is, is uh, it's time for the rich to pay their own way. The top 10% pay 90% of the taxes, right? 50% yep. of the country so, pays no taxes at all. Yeah. Zero. So with your Come saying, on. we got to go for Trump. If we want to save taxes. So as long as he keeps the platform he was talking about before. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, yep. he's not going to change that. Yep. I wouldn't think so. I don't think he would change it. What else is down the road? What else is changing that we have to talk about, that we have to look for? Yeah. So there's a huge amount of uncertainty on the tax horizon. So one of the things that I would point to, and, and not to pick out names, Tax Cut Jobs Act of 2017, because there's been so many acts, you can get them all mixed up. But that was a very significant one uh, that changed the marginal tax rates. You know, what percentage of tax are you paying at a different income level? The deduction exemption thing where the deductions went higher and you took out personal exemptions, made it zero is the way that they did that. Child tax credit amounts, the mortgage interest deduction thresholds, estate and gift tax thresholds, all of those things were changed by that act, which sunsets, it had a sunset clause at midnight on January 1st of 2026. And so there will be change, even if there's no change made, it reverts. And the things that uh, people used to deduct and said that you can't deduct now, and there's a lot of confusion on that. But all those things go back to what they were a decade ago, if everybody ever remembers that. The estate tax as well, right? Yep. Doesn't that revert back to a million bucks or whatever it was? Uh, the baseline that I recall is a, is a $5 million threshold, okay. yeah, but less than right. half of what yeah, it is. Yeah, it but there is that. absolutely rhetoric about making it a million. Yeah. Yep. Well, they probably wouldn't get a million, but if, they could get that five million because right now yeah. it's what twelve million a person, right? Yeah, round numbers uh, up to almost fourteen now, but yeah. yeah. 
because people have made so much more money you yep. know what i mean yep. and what is really it it, it 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 affects the people that have businesses that have to sell the businesses more than anything well but how about farmers yeah the farmers is the, is the big hit I think it's across the spectrum. I mean, it's interesting if you go back, uh, you know, pulling New York into the story. There was one period of time in the past where there was no estate tax uh, one year. And one of the big things with uh, New York Yankees, as it was told to me, is what happens when Steinbrenner passes. They'd have to potentially sell the Yankees just to pay the taxes uh, for that organization. And uh, as it turns out, that year was the year that uh, Mr. Steinbrenner passed. But so they didn't have to cross that bridge. But that is exactly the type of thing where you can completely change the landscape and you think it's, uh, you know, personal assets home, but no, it could be the business. It could be any number of things. I remember that, uh, that when that happened, I remember the talk and everyone started assuming that he just, he was, he was having problems anyway. So he figured he better die to save everybody the money. <laughs> All kind of speculation. Yeah. I'm sure. Oh, a curious number of billionaires that passed that year though. Yeah. Isn't it? It was rather. It is. That goes back, you know, that, that law goes back to England, English tax law, and, uh, to where it, and the purpose of it was so that no one or two families could control all of the wealth in the country. That was the, that was the reason that came into to effect. And obviously we're well beyond that at this point. But, well, yeah. my feeling is they wanted to change this whole thing with the billionaires, change the real estate uh, uh, taxation. I mean, that's where it all comes down to. Uh, and and the, and the carry forward interest. I mean, all these guys that are managing money, uh, uh, not not like us, but I'm talking about at hedge funds yeah. who are multi billionaires. And Warren Buffett, they don't have to pay because they always talk about uh, I pay less percentage wise than my my uh, my assistant. Well, then change the law. And remember, it almost got there, but Cinema stopped it. It's because that's where they get all their funding from. You and I both know that. They they act like they want to do something, but Congress doesn't do anything about it. Yeah, and there's yeah, there's a whole kind of conversation we could have there. But right. uh and that it feeds into some of the tax strategy side of things. There's basically three things you can do. Change when you pay your taxes, change how or get some exemption or offsets for the taxes that you do. Right. That tends to be where a lot of those things come from, where they incentivize and say, Hey, we will give you credit if you spend a dollar on something particular versus something else, then that'll that's a dollar you don't have to pay in taxes. Well, that's where we can come in, you know, for the clients that want to do that. We sit down and we put a tax strategy together yep. on, on what to do uh, going forward on their investments, not so much the money they're making on a W-2 and, yep. and all, but it's going forward because it's very important uh, that they don't get triple taxation and get killed. Let's face it. You get taxed, you get taxed, and then when you die, you get taxed again. <laughs> you know, just to... Uh... Make sure you understood that there was tax, death, and taxes, not just death. That uh, goes hand in hand there. Right. There's nothing wrong with with uh, being intelligent about your taxes. Uh, the, the the tax laws are there for a reason, yep. and it, it helps to have someone intelligent like you guys uh, to help guide people through that. Um, yeah, and and that's one of the reasons we like this partnership. I mean, Excellent. one of the th- best. Thing, I always tell people: fill up your retirement plans. Absolutely, fill them up. If you can't fill up your retirement plan, then that's where you can save a lot of taxes. Fill them up, put the money in, max them out. Then we can talk about other things that you can do. Yep. It's absolutely one of the huge opportunities to do so. And then most 401k plans get matched. So you're automatically making money. All right. We do tax strategy planning here. You do tax strategy planning with you. Jonathan does uh, tax planning strategy. We can help. You know, you need to sit down and and meet with us uh, and or you 
and and get some help because yep. we we do know how to do this. Yep. And it can make such a huge difference. It can. The reality is that the structure of the system is incredibly uh, complex, sophisticated, dynamic, whatever word you want to use. At the end of the day, there are a number of factors that can come into play in any given situation that can be, make the result of your reality as it exists uh, receive some tax preferential consideration. And you just have to be aware of what that is and how to do so. Right. And the process is they got to come in, they got to sit down, they got to talk to yep. you. If they do that the first time, do you charge them for that, or is it a consultation you can just they can come talk to you the first time? It depends how long they think that that conversation should be. <laughs> that first consultation is complimentary, absolutely. Right. Um, yep. And I say the same thing. I mean, if you think you're coming in and going to use me for two hours, that's crazy. Yeah. But you got to come in and talk to me for a half hour, 45 minutes. Exactly. That's fine. Yep. Same thing with Jonathan. Jonathan does that, too, uh, yep. state, uh, state attorney. We want to help you guys. Don't take advantage of us, and we're not going to take advantage of you. Yep. And the reality is how we can best help on the tax side of it is when they come in, if they have a financial plan and sit down and collaborate with a team like we're talking about, that net effect and looking forward and having a bigger plan rather than just, okay, it's not just 2023, it's about 24 and beyond. The plan is so important, and now we have a whole team that can do your plan for you and and set you up, take away the stress, and not worry about it. uh, uh, Joel, thank you. We look forward to a long relationship. If you need to get in touch with them, it's the Johnson Group, PLLC, Tax Accountings, or just call us. We have his number. We'll let you know where it is, and you can meet with him here or his offices. Not a problem. We'll be right back. Thank you for listening to The Money Matters Show. Welcome back. This is The Money Matters Show. We thank Joel Johnson for coming in and helping us, telling us uh, what's going on in the world of accounting. And uh, we really have struggled to find uh, people of, of a relatively young age uh, that can do taxes to, to with whom you can build a relationship with, and uh, we're excited to have the Johnson Group. Certainly, on I board. mean, we round out our team, right? We have the estate, we have even the extra insurance guy. We do our own insurance. Yeah. We are the money manager. We're the financial planner. We have an estate planner. Uh, we have mortgage a guy. loan up, mortgage guy, right? I mean, literally everything you could think of in the financial space. We have you taken care of. Um, and what you know, I wanted to, you know, Dean said, uh, you know. If it you last two hours or you know we do, me and Dylan we really don't care we've had three hour meetings we've had one hour meetings we are here no matter what because when you talk about financial plans we really are saying they're complimentary and they go into very detailed and sometimes they can stretch a long time especially for the very complex plans yeah and I mean so for our aspect of the the whole team you talk to Dean it's more of a conversation about what goes on and how like investment side. If you come talk to Todd and I and sit down with us, we go through the entire program. That's not necessarily a meeting you'd have with my dad. It'd be more with us. And that's why our meetings take a little longer because we really dive into the nuts and bolts of your financial plan. And I mean, everybody's is unique and some are much more complex and take the time to do it, which is no problem to us. Yeah. This last week I did a really fun plan where we had uh, this person retiring for two years. They were taking a lot of money out of their IRA, but also doing Roth conversions, getting them up to that tax bracket threshold where they wanted to be. Then for the, the three years after that, taking less out of their IRA, still doing Roth. We're able to calculate all this because we can see and project out tax rates and how they're going to increase with inflation each year. Obviously, you don't know if a tax code changes. You, you can't plan for that, but you know what the tax code is right now. You know what 
what it's supposed to increase with inflation each year. And you can plan for all of this and you can see what your expected lifetime tax savings would be if you do strategies, if you take money out of your IRA before RMDs, if you do Roth conversions before RMDs. And largely what we see is for people who haven't taken Social Security yet, if for some reason they waited to 70 and they haven't taken RMDs, likely, if they don't have a pension, of course, they probably don't have any earned income or it's not significant. So there is a lot of room for those people to take advantage of Roth conversions, even if they're past the age of 60. But again, you have to have not a lot of shown income, right? If you already turned on Social Security, if you already have a pension, if you are taking money out of your IRA to live on, there's really no room and it doesn't make sense. But you can only know that if you look at the financial plan, if we actually dig into all your earned income, dig into where your income sources are coming from, where they're projected to be coming from in the future years, how they get turned on and, and changed. It's too complex to do it in an Excel sheet. I say that multiple times, and that's why me and Dylan, we take a high value into this financial planning. We learn more about it every single day, and the software updates itself every single day. It's, it's getting better itself, so it's a constant improving process. Exactly. And like you were saying, I mean, we don't know what the tax code should, could change to in the future. And if it does change, the program can update with it. Right. It's not like you make your financial plan today and you're stuck with what the taxes are today. If something changes three years down the line and it's significant, we'll see how that impacts your plan and if there's a different route you have to take. Yeah. This plan is fluid. We want to update it at least once a year, especially if you're younger, because a lot of things can change within the time before you retire into well, while you're working until you retire. And what was Joel was saying was the potential that we may know what the potential platform, the new tax code could look like once we know who's actually going to be the incumbent president. Well, when that happens, we can actually go back into the plan and play. What if tax rates change by 2%? How does that impact the plan? And there's actually an ability for us to do that in the software. We can do any projection that we want to, really. Yeah. I, I'm just amazed at the level of sophistication that you guys achieve in these financial plans for zero cost. Right. Yeah. And no when, cost at all. When the meeting's and, over, we send it to them. And then that's it. Yep. No obligation. Yeah, no obligation. I mean, the whole process is that. We'll send it to you. We'll send you a risk tolerance questionnaire to get more of an idea of what your risk is. We ask initially during the planning meeting what your risk is, but this actual questionnaire is much more dynamic. Very similar questions, but it kind of nails down your idea of what your risk score is. And that shows how we would invest your money, say you were to open an account here. And then the next meeting is we would go over our suggestions and then you can either decide to implement them or not and take it and just go. But either way, it's all free of cost. And I think another reason we do that double risk score question, because when we ask the client, they'll say something to us because we are kind of explaining what we mean as risk. But when they go home and then they take the questionnaire by themselves without the influences around them, they often come up with a different number. And that's kind of life. I mean, I'm sure, Dave, you could speak to this as a money manager. They might be in your office telling you one thing and then two months later they call you because they look at their statement and they're telling you something completely different. Because when they're in your office, they feel like they have to act a certain way or maybe seem smart in a certain way um, when maybe they don't, or maybe that, you know, a lot of things play into it when people are trying to determine what their risk is. I mean, some people think they need to be super aggressive right here, right? Three months ago, you were saying the same person is being conservative. Sure. So a lot of the times when people get at home and, you know, simmer in their thoughts, they kind of come up with these different ideas of what they should be doing when originally in the first plan, they said something completely different. And so that's why we'd like to take those dynamic approaches and constantly go back to it, constantly ask, is this still what you feel like? Is this still what you feel comfortable with? Because it changes a lot. And that's what it is. It's constant communication between us and our clients 
because things do change. Risk tolerance do change. Maybe you are less comfortable with the risk that you initially wanted when you opened a year ago or two years ago. So then we can come in and talk about that and see maybe we retake the risk tolerance questionnaire, see where your mind is at now, and do we change things? Do we make you a little more conservative? That's all the conversations we have, and that's what we want to keep, constant communication. We don't want to just implement your initial plan and then never talk to you again. Mm-hmm. That's not how we want to do Could it. you imagine the risk tolerance scores today compared to what they were a year ago? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. 2022, yeah. 2022 risk tolerance questionnaires were very conservative. Very conservative, yeah. yeah. Uh, what I really wanted is a CD at the bank and not to be bothered anymore, right? Mm-hmm. And now it's give me every tech stock you can find. And, yep. and can we do it on margin? <laughs> yeah. Make me as aggressive as possible. But that's why. And then what we try to say, we try to remind our clients that it's like, think about it five, 10 years down the road, not five months. Because a lot can change in five to 10 years, but that's how you want to build your portfolio. You don't want to try and time the market. You want to build a portfolio that helps you sleep at night and helps you not check your phone every 10 minutes trying to see what the market's doing because you're nervous about what your retirement plan is doing. Yeah, that's the, the one thing that that you find out when you go through this financial plan is there's an awfully lot of moving parts in a financial plan. Some of those parts you didn't even know existed. Or were connected. Right? Or didn't know were connected, exactly. Yeah. So when, when a client comes out of those meetings, it's with this – Breath of fresh air of, okay, I now know where I'm at. I mm-hmm. now know what I need to do. Um, a huge uh, one we see is that they don't know their the monthly expenses. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I when get they that. Start, when they, like, they tell us, they, oh, yeah, we had to sit down and go over our expenses. A lot different than we thought because they never really go over. They're just seeing it come in, come out, but they're not sitting down putting together a budget in that sense they had to. And it's some for some people, it's eye-opening. I think one of the biggest things that the plan gives people is when you show them a range of spending. So they'll come in and tell me what they're currently spending, which is normally what I say is their minimum because they normally are giving you a pretty low number compared to what they're probably actually spending. <laughs> and then what you can do is in the what if scenario of the plan, you can see what what level of spending breaks the plan. What is undoable, right? And so you go up to that threshold until the plan breaks down to about 90. So it's still relatively successful. You know it will work, but um, nine, nine times out of 10. But you know that's kind of your upper threshold. Once you get past that level of spending, that's where the plan really has some risks to them. When you see that range as a someone who's been building up this income, uh, this accumulation bucket all your life, now you know exactly how much you can possibly spend. When you have this kind of unknowing, you're more timid in spending, and you don't really enjoy all that work that you worked for in the last forty years, right? A lot of people they're like, I want to bounce my last check. Okay, but they don't even come close to it because they don't know what that upper echelon of spending is. They don't know what too much is too much. Mm-hmm. And so they kind of are extra timid. And that's where, you know, it's unfortunate because these people really did work hard for themselves to enjoy this period of life. So, you know, take advantage of that. Sometimes it's just people are so habitually, you know, they've done it so long that they can't spend more. Like they, they can't pass up a deal. They, you know, it's just who they are, which is another topic you, of discussion. You can't, you can't fix frugal. Some people that you know they've they've lived a life for thirty years to be frugal on purpose to save money for retirement, but now that they're in retirement, they they've practiced it for so long they don't know how to break. No, you can't you can't do that. You can't fix frugal. Yeah, and and, but you've seen uh, because I've sat in on some of these with you. uh, You've seen clients. I remember one that you said you can be spending twice as much as you're spending and still have a hundred percent probability of success. Right. And I've seen you sit with clients where you said there's absolutely no way that you can get to the finish line right? like this. Right. You've got to make changes. Yeah. And whether those changes, what those changes involve, we can help with. 
Mm. Uh, does that change in, involve a, a less spending perhaps on a vacation, less spending on a mortgage? Maybe you need to sell your house. Maybe mm. that maybe you, you can't afford to have a house. Maybe you need that money. Maybe you need a reverse mortgage. Right. Um, any number of things, a myriad of of different choices, and and I've sat in on, with you guys on both of those. Yeah. Um, and the one where you can spend twice as much as you're spending and still be okay is way more fun than, than the one where you're not going to make it. Yeah, and even the people that are not going to make it, oftentimes they have something that is an asset, but for some reason they just don't want to think of it as an asset, and it is their home. Like you said, reverse mortgages are a very utilized tool in this space now. They were a horror story back in the day, yeah. but they are really good products. Highly regulated, highly regulated, regulated by the FHA now. It is a, a very different product we than what it used to, to be. Do those? Yes, um, you know that we have connections to people. If you if you want to get quotes, these are things that can make a difference for people in those last 10, 15 years of life that they thought they could never make it past. Maybe they didn't think they would live that long. And now that they're there, they have no money to live on. Um, a lot of times they still have that asset and. You know, it's the one asset they pay down that is so emotionally tied to it. But at the end of the day, it is what you worked for. So don't forget that. Like, you need to make yourself comfortable at the end of the day. It's just getting by, living month to month, uh, essentially, and doing without while you sit on a $500,000 CD that's paying you nothing. Exactly. It's just it's just silly. Right. Uh, that's not the... That's, that's not why you bought it, right. right? You bought it to accumulate wealth, to yeah. increase your net worth. And it's and not you, that you lose the home. It's not what right. you think. Right. So. And uh, so we have people, uh, we don't do uh, reverse mortgages here, but we have people that right. do them. Right. And they're real and they're legitimate. And uh, would Tom Selleck lie to you, right? <laughs> <laughs> he, he makes me my heart warm. He, he does. He does. <laughs> How do you not like that guy? Come on. He comes on there and says, I wouldn't let anybody take your home. Anyway, we appreciate you listening to us on this Sunday morning. It was, was fun to have the, the Johnson group here. Uh, they are ready, willing, and able to do taxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're looking for someone to help you with that, uh, uh, please give us a call. We can put you in touch with them. And we'll be back right after this break. This is the Money Matter Show. Welcome back to the final segment of the Money Matter Show. I'm Dylan Greenberg. I'm here with Todd Glick, Dave Sherwood, and Dean Greenberg talking about our new accountants that we are partnering with, Jonathan Sibelia, obviously, our estate planner that we always work with. And those of you, we did not have time to do this when we first got into the second hour, so those of you still tuned in. The markets for the week, the Dow was flat. The S&P 500 was up 1.5%. The NASDAQ, which is tech-heavy, was up 2.3%. And the small cap, Russell 2000, was up 2.6% for the week. The RSP. The equal-weighted S&P 500 was up a half a percent. And then for the year, all of them are up in the positive territory except small cap. That's down a half a percent. And I noticed that the uh, the value ETFs were down for the year. We did a, did a little survey of those. Uh, yep. Friday, still they're down just for like the last year. year. Just, just like, like last year. year. It's like a carbon copy of, of 2023. Just seeing the seven stocks. Nothing NVIDIA changed. just busted through 700 with no problem. Yep, yep. And it's just those stocks. Can, Meta continues to just kill it. So we're seeing continuation of last year so we'll see how long that lasts we're still looking at value as a firm really i i think that's a, 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 a much that. more comfortable place to be adding money right now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. exactly agree. well every week we get uh questions from listeners on the show uh this week we got a, a question i answer, um question asked yes yeah. i said that right okay sure. uh the, the question is uh what is an etp and what is the difference between a Bitcoin spot ETF and a Bitcoin spot ETP? Well, an ETP is an exchange-traded product. It's really just an umbrella term 
Uh, it's not an actually uh, necessarily an actual thing. It's like an ETF is underneath the umbrella. So an exchange-traded product, there's other versions of exchange-traded products, but ETF is the most Not used. to put you on the spot, but could you come up with an example of an ETP? No, it's not. Anything. No, an it's ETP, traded, traded an product. ETF is an ETP. I see. Yeah. I got it. I got it. Okay. Exchange-traded products. Okay, thank you. ETFs under that and umbrella. Then got it. Got yeah. ETFs, ETNs, which is exchange-traded notes, notes. exchange-traded funds. I got it. So it's a category. It's a category. Yeah, an exactly. ETP is in a category. Um, so there's no benefits of using an ETP over an ETF because they're the same exact thing. But what benefits do you have using crypto, uh, buying cryptocurrencies with an ETF, um, like any of the spot Bitcoin ETFs that came out recently, or buying cryptocurrencies directly or on sites such as Coinbase and things like that. Uh, the real risk is custodianship, right? Who actually owns the Bitcoin at the end of the day? And who are you trusting? Uh, if Coinbase goes out of business, likely your Bitcoin is gone. Your any of your cryptocurrency is gone. If Fidelity goes out of business, you have SIPC insurance technically, so you, it's not necessarily gone. You do have some insurance backing that up. Um, that's why it takes longer to get regulatory approval because there's insurances involved and things like that. Sure. So an ETF probably is a safer place, but in terms of like true ownership, it's not true ownership. I mean, I mean, I guess it's if you bought Bitcoin in your private wallet or cryptocurrency in your private wallet, you truly own it. It's like you holding physical gold. It's truly yours. There's no intermediary party holding your stuff. But if you use a Coinbase, you use Fidelity, a spot Bitcoin ETF, anything, uh, there's someone holding your asset. The same way as if you're buying gold ETF, right? You don't actually own the gold. You own the right that someone else is holding the gold, <laughs> Right. Right. So um, that's really the difference of where the money's held. But all in all, I s- talked about it on the earlier show, the Bitcoin spot ETF, for Fidelity at least, has tracked perfectly onto the Bitcoin spot, ET- Bitcoin spot price. So the, it's the, done its job. And in a goal. way for us, is the way as money managers here, we weren't able to buy Bitcoin for a client. Yeah. Straight from, we could buy Coinbase, but we couldn't buy a Bitcoin for them. We had the closed end fund, GBTC. Or the futures based. Exactly. But, but this is the first time... As a money manager that we can buy Bitcoin, that's the closest we can get to buying a straight Bitcoin for a client. And the biggest thing is for really institutions, because us money managers makes it easier for sure, but also for institutions, it makes it actually possible for the first time. You need to add, they they are not allowed to buy futures-based ETFs. They have to buy spot-settled ETFs, and that's in most mandates of institutions. It would seem to me that there are advantages to uh, buying the ETF versus a physical Bitcoin, and and there are disadvantages to buying the individual. So it, it seems to me there's no downside. Well, there is a downside. As well, not forget there's an expense ratio of this fund, right? So you're not getting. So you're paying one percent, right? Year, right, right now, Fidelity isn't charging any expense ratio right. until August, so it's going to track perfectly. But eventually, Bitcoin Spot will outpace any spot Bitcoin ETF because any spot Bitcoin ETF will have an expense ratio attached to it. The highest one is GBTC, which is also the most traded one right now. So it's very interesting the market doesn't realize that, uh, but GBTC's uh, expense ratio is 1.5, where the average is around you know 0.6. So it's, it's yeah. they're way higher. That than is that. really, that is the only disadvantage. Correct. Uh, and the advantage is you don't have to worry. I thought you, you worded it perfectly, custodian. That's, that's the key, custodian. Yeah. If uh, you if, forget your password... There's no, you know, forget your password. Yeah, you forget your password, right. can't get your Bitcoin. Yeah. If you forget your Greenberg Finance password, you just call us up. We, right. we, 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 you get back into your account, right? There, there, that doesn't work uh, when you own your own stuff. Coinbase goes under, uh, your your Bitcoin could be gone. Could um, be. Yeah, yeah. There, there's there's so no SIPC insurance for Coinbase as far as I'm aware. No, we have heard stories about people that forgot their password, can't get to their Bitcoin. So the one thing about the ETF, it's, it's far and away the better way to go. 
if you're wanting exposure to Bitcoin. For the majority of people. Seems to me. Uh, I, well, we won't even go further. Don't go that deep. No, I don't, won't don't, even go don't further. Go. <laughs> um, a couple of the more newsworthy stocks this week, NVIDIA. Uh, another new all-time high as the uh, chip maker has quadrupled since December 31st of 22. Quadrupled. Yeah, I had something to talk about with the semiconductor space as a whole because obviously that space has been killing it. ARM was up 50% one day this week when they report earnings. You said it's four times the PE of NVIDIA, which is just ridiculous. ridiculous yeah. AMD has been killing it, which really those are the top three. But SMCI, the super, uh, super microcomputer, has been killing it as well. Um, inventory levels remain extremely high in, in the space. Uh, they have come down a lot. They were at 55% in the start of 2023. Uh, semiconductor inventory levels globally and now they're down to around 25 percent so the demand has eat up uh, ate up some of that supply um, but it's still very high so the the reason i bring that up is you need demand to continue Mm -hmm. now me and dylan we were talking about this we don't really see any possibility of the demand slowing i don't know what you think about that it seems like demand will stay level so if it stays level here it makes sense that the margins stay the same the profits sales all stay the same the only thing that's a concern is for some reason demand starts to level off or doesn't um keep up then those margins will get squeezed and revenue will come down because i mean i see it as nvidia is far and above it's got the best chip right now so all these other chip makers are trying to catch up to that so does nvidia's demand slow down as these other chip makers catch up because maybe they'll have a cheaper one right. with the same computing power. That's the only thing. But then that demand increases. So as a whole, the industry, I don't see it slowing down. Well, the industry as a whole, that's exactly why you're having this such surge yeah. of global inventory. It's every person that can make a semiconductor is trying to right now. So you have such a supply out there. But you also have a lot of demand. So that's why there's no issues right now. It's it's just as if there's demand falls off for some reason, yeah. you're still going to have all this supply. And that's a bad news for any economic. Think about it like in the chips of a phone. When the iPhone first came out, I think it was what, like 32? It was like 100 megabytes. It wasn't a lot. Maybe one gigabyte. Now you got a phone. Your regular phone is holding 500 gigabytes worth of storage. They keep getting better and they get astronomically better quicker. Yeah. And that's what's happening with these AI chips. And then it just becomes the norm to have these. And demand never slowed down for these chips. Well, the biggest the thing is the efficiency. So it's not like we're putting more chips into the phone, but we're using more of the things that we use in technology, like cars, for example. How many chips go into the Thousand. EVs, right? That used to never be a thing. Yeah. So that's a huge surge of supply you need huge. for that market. Yeah, huge. And toasters, right? I mean, um, freaking fridges have exactly. TVs now. So, I mean, all these different things that used to not need semiconductors now need them. And that will probably continue. Yeah, I, th- I started hearing last week, uh, NVIDIA clearly has the f- best chip out there. Efficiency-wise, for sure. What if you don't need the best chip? I mean, what if you, you decide, you know... NVIDIA's old one, that's like how A car goes, okay, this car will go 130 miles an hour. You get the China version. What if I don't need a car that yeah. goes 130 Yeah, you get the China away. version that NVIDIA sold to them that because they couldn't give them the good... You couldn't give them the right. good one. Remember? I'm just wondering, the, the demand for these uh, chips that NVIDIA has is is from uh, Meta, it's from Microsoft, yeah. it's, uh, you know, across... Tesla. Do we get Elon to a Musk. point where we say, you know what, we really don't need to spend $40,000 per chip Right, uh, especially if it doesn't bring you revenue right now, right? Because everything they're doing me. is building out. Yeah, they're building out these future revenue sources. They're not bringing money in right. No, now. you're right. They're just spending. you're right. Well, in a sense, go back to the phone example. iPhones came out with the iPhone 5C or the iPhone 10C, which is a cheaper version of the new one when this all came out. And it's because they started just making every new iPhone was better and better and better and better. 
But then they realized they hit a point where people didn't want to spend $1,000 on a new phone. So they brought it back a little less processing power, but it was a cheaper phone, about half price. It was a uh, iPhone C or whatever it was. And people started buying those up because they're like, it's still just it's as powerful for me as I need it to be. I think you're pro- uh, probably was something Dean said earlier. I think every pullback in NVIDIA, if there is one, will be a buying opportunity. For the foreseeable future. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. They, uh, uh, Eli Lilly. Excuse me. <coughs> I came you. back from babysitting the two grandkids with some issues. <laughs> Physically. <laughs> well, Eli Lilly's okay. killing it ever since uh, for the last year, really, for Last summer, though, it's gone up like 200 points. That's doubled in the last 12 months, rallied to another new all-time high on Tuesday after they reported revenue and net income well above expectations on the back of a strong launch of their weight loss drug, ZipBound. And they uh, they just launched that. And apparently it went like blockbusters, which is kind of what we expected. Uh, supposed to be, um, from all reports, more effective than any other weight loss drug. In fact, Amgen uh, hit an all-time high last week, a week ago, on hopes for their weight loss drug. And then Lilly came out this past week and go, oh, well, we've looked at this. It's not anywhere near as good as ours. And the stock dropped 12%. Well, we're coming up on the last minute of the show, so there's a lot of people that are going to need some you know, Ozempic and Wegovi after this weekend. A lot of good Super Bowl football <laughs> food coming up on Sunday. So uh, since it is Super Bowl Sunday and uh, it, game time is about, what, four hours from, from about this time or maybe it was six, six hours, hours six about six hours, hours from this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. So who are we picking, right? I'm no. I'm a Niners fan. It's all Niners Yeah, the all Niners day. are favored by two. Yep. The so favorites. where are you going, Dave? I'm Kansas City. Kansas City. I'm going Niners all day. I love to hear it. Go Niners. Okay. It's going to be a fun one. And it will Dave, be. You want to send us out? They're going against. Uh, going against. Uh, uh, this is a rematch from a going against years Pat ago. Mahone is like going against Nvidia, baby. Uh, <laughs> okay, here at Greenberg Financial, we like to be happy. We're always happy. We love to be healthy. That's a big deal. Mm-hmm. But what we're really trying to do at the end of the day is be profitable. profitable.